Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. We just felt that we would theme this whole month Generous June. And we started last week by talking about being generous with our words. And I trust that that impacted your week. I trust that it impacted your family, your marriage, your work environment, your school, your university. I hope it impacted the way you shop. I hope it impacted the way that you drive through. How many of you went through a drive through this week and bought some junk food? Did you bless somebody? Did you say, hey, thank you. Have a great day. Did, you, did, did we do that? No. We've got to put the Word of God into practice. Otherwise, we're like the guy that looks at himself in the mirror and forgets what they look like. And that's why I'm always in front of the mirror so that I can remember what I look like. It's just good theology, people. People think you're in the gym just looking at yourself. We are because it's good theology. Oh, come on, you've got to work with me. Why don't you just turn to the person next to you and have a little bit of banter. Say something kind. Say something nice over the person next to you. Maybe come on to their hair, what they're wearing. That'd be great. Keep going. It's nice. Keep going. If you've given one compliment, give another compliment. Come on. Barry, I love your hat. You're amazing. It suits you. I wish hats look as good on me as they do you. Amazing. It's awesome. Nice scarf. Crystal. Nice, I like it. I like it. Like my jacket? Like your jacket. Amazing. 50 bucks. The States. Love it. Bargain. Awesome. There we go. Fantastic. Sorry? There we go. It's just awesome. You've been blessed? Isn't that better than a punch in the head? And it didn't cost anything. It's amazing. It's amazing that uh, we can feel that blessed and it didn't even, no money exchanged hands. At least that I know of. But seriously, we, we, I, I really want us to get this into our spirit because generosity is a spirit. In Proverbs chapter four, in Proverbs chapter eleven, verse twenty-four, it says, "The world of the generous gets larger and larger and larger and larger and larger and." Larger, this is the amplified version, and larger. That's why I'm getting louder as well, because amplify, get it? Larger, 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 larger. And the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. Do you want a large life or do you want a small life? Come on, let's supersize. Come on. See, even McDonald's know that, that forever trying to enlarge your order. Isn't that right? They're saying, would you like me to do it like an upgrade, an upsize, yeah? And so uh, that's what this uh, series is all about, is about increasing our spirits, growing our spirit, that we might become more and more generous, because the more generous we are with our words, the more generous and the larger our lives 
will become. And so this, week, uh, this month, sorry, we're going to look at a few areas uh, that we want to increase the spirit of generosity. Last week, we spoke about words. We looked at uh, acknowledging one another, encouraging one another, affirming one another, loving one another, forgiving one another. In actual fact, I, I caught up. Can I just say this? And I'm just going to say this off the bat, only because I had a, a, a meeting with one of the young guys in our church. And it's amazing how I get quoted when it suits people. And so um, I was talking to a young man and he said, hey, Tony, uh, he was involved in a girlfriend situation. And, and this is not the only time. This is, this is not an isolated incident. This, is, this happens all the time. And... Uh, uh, he was talking about a conversation he was involved in, and I, I, was caught, I, was in the, I found myself in the conversation. It's amazing how many conversations I find myself in. Tony said, and they said, you know, Tony says, he lo- uh, says to his wife every day that he loves her, and that is true. I am not lying. I tell her every day, and more than once. I just love her. But for a young guy who's just started dating, uh, there's a different context. And so if you're, if, you're, if you're the partner that says it wants to use the fact that I say to my wife after 23 years of marriage and, and dating eight years before that, uh, Tony says that he says he loves you and I want the same. It's a different context. So um, what I want us to hear is what we need to hear, not what we want to hear. Okay, so <laughs> otherwise I just, I just feel, I, I, I want to be honest with you. Sometimes public speaking is just so demoralizing. When, when it gets fed back to you what I was, you know, allegedly led to say, I, I, I don't know. But anyway, that's just an aside. You can just take that off the tape. There's no, no point in being on the tape. But anyway, um, I, just, I just better get on with what I'm talking about. Uh, otherwise, we're going to run out of time. This morning, I want to talk about being generous in our worship. Last week, we looked at generosity with our words. Today, I want to look at us being generous with our worship. And to start, I just want to look at a scripture found in the book of John, John chapter 4, reading from verse 23. And to set the scene, I want to just say that Jesus was walking through a particular town called Samaria, and uh, he was tired, he was hungry, the disciples had gone off to buy some food, and he found himself at Jacob's well. And he sat down, a woman came up to him, and they got into a dialogue about a whole heap of things. Jesus said uh, to her uh, a few things about uh, her life, and and she was amazed, and she said, surely you are a prophet. And then he starts getting into a, a deep and meaningful conversation. The whole conversation shifted, and then they started talking about religion and, and, and God, and, and the Samaritan woman says, um, we, Samaritans, we worship on this mountain and, and, and you Jews say it's right to worship in Jerusalem. And Jesus responds to this woman with these very words. He says, indeed, a time is coming and it is now here when true worshippers, everyone say true worshippers, will worship the Father in spirit and truth, say truth. The Father is looking for people that will worship Him, uh, like that, to worship Him. God is a spirit. Those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Say truth. Three times in these two verses, truth is mentioned. Jesus is saying to this woman, you're missing the point when it comes to worship. 
You're making it about a place. You Samaritans worship here, us Jews worship there. You're missing the point. You need to understand the kind of worship that pleases the Father is a worship that comes from our spirit and it's truth. In other words, it is possible to worship in a false way. You can't have true worship without having false worship. By virtue of something being true means that there is a false version of the truth out there. And so it is possible for us to be worshipping, but not in a true way, not in a way that is according to spirit and truth. And it is a way that is not pleasing to the Father. And Jesus is not condemning this woman. He's trying to enlighten her. And so this morning, I am not here to bring condemnation. I am here to hopefully, through the Spirit presence in this room, enlighten us, to bring us back to a God focus and a God centeredness. Because let's be honest, all of us drift from time to time. And all of us can make more of things than we ought and less of things than we ought. If we are honest, even in our families, we can do that. We can drift in our understanding of what true marriage really is. And we have a false economy of what marriage is when we make it more about things than the relationship that we are in. Our marriage can become more about our kids and our marriage can become more about our homes and our marriage can become more about the car. And that's a false version of the true marriage that God intended. And so if that is possible, it is possible that we could be worshipping here this morning, thinking that we're pleasing God and actually be a million miles away from what God had in mind when it comes to our worship. Is that making sense to anybody out there this morning? Before we get into this too, uh, in too much detail, can I just say this so that everyone can come on the journey with me? Because I realise every time we gather together on a Sunday that there are believers and there are non-believers, there are Christians, there are non-Christians, there are the mature, there are the immature, there are the red hot passionate ones and there are the lukewarm ones. We have that every time we gather together. And so I want us to come together on a journey. Speaking up here on this platform is the most daunting thing because of the diversity in this room. And yet it's the diversity in this room that is our greatest strength. And so I want you, if you are visiting for the very first time, if you are an atheist, if you are an unbeliever, I want you to come with me on this journey because I want you to know something. When it comes to worship, every person in this room is a worshipper. It may not be directed at God, but you are a worshipper of something or someone or somewhere. Some of you just dream about Queensland in this cold, wintry, wet Adelaide. You're just dreaming and and we, we can worship a place. We can worship a person. We can worship some thing in our life. Every one of us is created to worship. Some of our greatest worshippers are in the city of Adelaide and they get together every Saturday and they go down to Adelaide Oval and amongst the sea of people, there's about three teeth amongst them and they cheer for their team, Port Power. They are incredibly devoted to their God, their God of football and in particular the Port Adelaide Football Club. Did I say something wrong? You can clap. I mean, it's a false kind of worship. And that would be true for the Crows and it would be true for every other football team. It would be true for every other sport that there is. 
but that passion, the shouting. The Bible says, shout to the Lord. And we see people shouting for their teams. It says, lift up holy hands. And we see that at the football. Because in us is a desire to worship someone or something. And so worship is not just a a Christian thing. It's something that we are all prone to do. And we all do it. And I wanted this morning, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, as best as I know how, to help us direct that worship in the proper place. Amen? That's the plan. Charles Stanley says this, Many Christians in many churches don't worship God. They go to church, but they don't worship God. They sing their songs, but they don't worship God. They sit there listening to the preaching of the Word, but they don't worship God. You see, all these things are not bad in and of themselves, but they are the element of worship. They are not the essence of worship. And the moment we confuse the elements of worship... The raising hands, the listening, the taking notes, all those can be a part of our worship, but they're not the essence of our worship. When it comes to our marriage, having a home, raising children, buying a dog, putting a white picket fence up, that can all be the elements of a married life, but it's not the essence of marriage. The essence of marriage is two people who stay in love uh, all the days of their life. That's the essence of marriage. And all the other things come out of that. And the moment those things that come out of that get in the way and interfere with the essence, they become a problem. So there's nothing wrong with a dog. But if the dog gets in the way of your relationship, if the dog gets in the way of the essence of your marriage, get rid of the dog. It goes without saying to get rid of the cat. Sharon Roberts, it's just, I, I, I'm just saying, whatever gets in the way of the essence of the marriage, if your home, as beautiful as it may be, uh, is getting in the way of your marriage and you can't keep up with the bills and you can't keep up with the mortgage, it's now become a problem. And it's damaging to the essence of what marriage is. And I would say, downsize. Sell your home and get a cheaper version of what you've just had. Better that than lose the essence of marriage. And so it is when it comes to our worship. All these things can be great and all of them can be a hindrance. The question is, what is the essence of our worship? What is the heart of our worship? Where's where's our worship coming from? Where is the focus of our worship? That's going to depend on whether it is true worship or not. Is that making sense this morning? Let me explain it this way with a little story I heard. I think it highlights a great point. You see, once uh, there was this dad who uh, looked at his son and it was just a day before his seventh birthday and the father looked at his son and said, what do you want for your seventh birthday? And the son looked at his dad and said, well, that depends, dad. You see, the son's dad loved football and was an avid footballer in his day. And he said to his dad, he said, Dad, I would love a football for my seventh birthday so that I could kick the football with you. But if you are too busy to kick the football with me, then for my seventh birthday, 
I would like a soccer ball so that I can go and kick the soccer ball with my mates. The dad thought about that and realised at that moment that his son did not want a football so much as he wanted his dad. The football was the element that connected him to his dad. It's not about the football. It's not about whether we dance or not. It's not about the raised hands or not. It's not about the music or not. It's actually about the connection with the Father that makes something authentic or not. See, authentic worship is more interested in the Creator than created things. The first time the word worship is mentioned in the Scriptures. It's found in Genesis chapter 22, verse 5, and it's surrounding the life and times of a man by the name of Abraham. And this morning, I want to use Abraham as a little bit of a case study so that we can look at some of the ingredients of authentic worship this morning. Am I speaking to the right people this morning? Do we want to get back to authentic worship? Or do we want to just assume that we are doing the right thing, we're in the best place, and we're just going to just not listen? Are you ready? And so we're going to use this man. His name is Abraham. He's the one that we sung about in Sunday school. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons did Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. Right arm Left arm, right leg, left leg. How did any of us get saved with that? I mean, come on. But, but that's who we are talking about here today. And so I want to read from the book of Genesis. Genesis is the very first book in the Bible, so it's really easy to find if you're following. If not, look up on the screen. Genesis chapter 22 and verse 1. There's a few key ingredients to authentic worship that I want to extract from the Scriptures this morning. It says sometime later, verse 1, God tested Abraham. Let me just stop there for a moment. Did God love Abraham? And yet He tested him. That means that it is possible that God loves you and yet wants to test you. And who knows that tests are never comfortable and tests are never nice. We need to understand if we are to grow in our Christianity that because God loves us, He's going to test us. And so the next time we're praying that God gets us out of and God smites somebody else, maybe God loves us so much He's placed us in a test to grow us. And so maybe He's not going to answer our prayers the way we want Him to answer our prayers because He wants us to pass the test. God loved Abraham and yet He tested him. God loves you. A test is coming your way sometime in the future. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. A few things I want to draw out today, five things that I want to draw out today that will hopefully help us stay on track or get back on track when it comes to the area of our worship to God. The first thing that we see here in Abraham's life is revelation. Authentic worship is founded on revelation. 
You can't have worship without revelation. Abraham's journey begins with God revealing himself to Abraham. It didn't start with his son being bound up. It didn't start with a knife in his hand. It started with a revelation. It started with a God encounter. It started with a God and Abraham moment. Where does authentic worship start? It starts with you and God. It doesn't start with lights. It doesn't start with crowds. It doesn't start with music. It starts with you and God. God and you. That's where authentic worship starts. God reveals Himself to Abraham and Abraham responds to the presence of God and he says, here I am. Not I've got to go. Have you ever had one of those moments where your wife is saying, honey, honey, we need to chat. Got to go. Instead of saying, here I am. Abraham. And he was a busy man. Got a lot on his plate. Lots of things to look after. And yet he wasn't too busy for God. See, if you're too busy for God, you'll never have authentic, true, spirit-filled worship. Abraham says, here I am. Speak. Your servant is listening. And the reason he could do that is because he knows God. And because he knows Him, he knows he can trust Him. See, the deeper our worship, the deeper our understanding the deeper our knowledge of Him and the more we can trust Him. Authentic worship is based upon a revelation of God. See, it's not based, nor is it founded on our likes or our uh, dislikes. I need us as a church moving forward to understand this. We don't have the luxury of choosing to sing along to a song whether we like it or not. It's not based upon our comfort. It's not based upon our personal preferences. It's not based upon our priorities. It's based upon a revelation of God. And if we're honest, we've made much of our worship experience about us and what we like. And can I be a little bit controversial and say, even the comment that I love the worship this morning, even that is not biblical. Even saying, I loved the worship. You were not the audience of our worship. There is only an audience of one when it comes to our worship. And it's not whether we enjoyed it or not. It's whether it was pleasing to Him. And so you could have a moment where you got nothing out of the worship that you felt worse after worshipping, but you did it and God could be pleased. Whereas you could have an incredible time in a moment of worship and God be displeased. Because sometimes it's not actually worship that we're enjoying, it's the song. It's the artist. It's the incredible music. It's the atmosphere. It was the person we were standing next to. I just love the worship this morning. And and I know there are some benefits of us being in the presence of God that we get some feelings that we could say that. So I don't don't want to dismiss that totally, but I just want to be a little bit controversial and say even that comment alone is not scriptural. 
Because the worship is not there for us to love or not. The, the whole premise of worship is not even us about giving anything to God. It's about us receiving God. The goal of worship is God. It's not how you feel. The goal of our worship is not whether you enjoyed it or not. The goal of worship is not to be enjoyed. I hope I enjoy worship this morning. That's not the goal. If that is our goal, then it's a false economy when it comes to true worship. The, the, the true essence of worship is to make God the goal. I don't come to give anything because when you're standing before a great God, there's nothing to give. I come to receive. And what do I come to receive? Uh, entertainment? No. Feelings? No. An experience? No. I come to get God. That's worship. That we come to get God. That we come to have Him as the prize. Am I talking to the right people this morning? In Psalm 42 verse 1, the psalmist writes, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? The psalmist uses the thirst of an animal to describe his desire for God. Every morning, Kath and myself, we go for about a five to six kilometre walk and we take with us our little dog, Tobias. And now he's a little Maltese dog and so he's tiny and so by the time he's finished, it's more like a half marathon because he's like, you know, we're walking and he's... And when we let the leash off, I know the first thing he's going to do. He's going to go out the back and he's going to go to his little water bowl and he's going to lap that water up. Because there's only one thing he wants when he gets back. Because he's so thirsty. And when you watch little Tobias, that's his name, drinking out of that bowl, he's not very dignified. He doesn't adopt the Pentecostal posture of how cool he is in his drinking. He's not like looking around and saying, do I look cool? I've watched over the years the different hand movements. With, you know, it's not just raising hands, it's raising hands and you know, just all this kind of, this, there's cool ways and there's not cool. Some of you who have been around know what I mean. There's these cool ways to raise your hands. And so you see someone up on stage doing something and all the youth group are just like, that's the way to the way. Now this little dog, he's just, in, he's just, he doesn't care. He's undignified. He doesn't care how wet he gets. He doesn't care what he looks like. He's just gobbling at the water. And it's like, a little, it's like a little psalm I see every morning. As Tobias pants for water. Lord, let my soul long for you. Let my soul. Using a dog doesn't diminish the Scriptures. It just brings it into 2015. Because who here has seen a deer recently? <laughs> but the point remains the same. How many of us that I, I sold for God? Not, not, not out of, I need a miracle. Not, not out of, I need some finance. I'm not talking about that kind of desire. Because what you're saying is you want God for something. 
When's the last time our soul panted for God and God alone? Because that's true biblical worship. Where we say, God, you're enough. You're enough. Now again, I know following God, and Kathy even mentioned it this morning, you give and you receive. There is, there is an overflow. I know that, but that should not be the desire. That might be the outcome. That might be the result. But if God never did another thing for you, would, you, would your soul thirst? If He never answered your prayer, if He never came through for you today on the need that you have, your biggest need right now, whatever that may be, would your soul still thirst for Him? Because if we are still coming to worship God and just to get something other than God, it's not the kind of worship that Jesus is talking about. Yeah, very good. Should we desire some of these other things? No. But that desire should not be greater than God Himself. That's the point. If you've come in with a, healing, a need of healing in your body and you're believing God will heal, that's not bad. But the need for healing can't be greater than the need for God Himself. That's the point. And we, we, we believe in healing. We're going to continue to pray for people. And there'll always be that moment in our services and that moment, there'll always be that. And I'm not about to get rid of our home based upon what I've said because that's not marriage. Now, these things flow out of, but they can't get in the way of. Is this making sense? See, revelation is more than information. You can know all about God, but still not know Him. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, my heart is that you might know Him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be opened, that you would receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation in order that you might know Him not know how to worship. Not that you may know the latest song. Not that you may build a bigger tabernacle. Not that you may be blessed in good measure, pressed down and shaken together. No, you might know Him. You might know Him. This is not an anti-blessing message. This is a both and. But it's about a first things first. Our worship Oh, sorry, our service must flow out of worship. Remember Jesus when he was tempted by the devil? Matthew chapter 4, he said, Devil, get away from me, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. It's always both and. But we've got to make sure our worship is authentic and our authentic worship comes first. Let's read on. Genesis chapter 22, verse 3. Early the next morning, Abraham got up he loaded his donkey. He took with him the two servants and his son Isaac. He went ahead and cut enough wood for the burnt offering. He set out for the place God had told him about. The second thing I see from this is not only do you need revelation for authentic worship, but you also need preparation. Abraham didn't just get up and go. He actually prepared himself for this moment of worship. There were no excuses, no procrastination. He just got ready. And what did he do? He, he loaded the donkey. If he just rushed off, he would have got to the mountain with nothing to actually sacrifice with. And so there was preparation even before the worship took place. And so he loads his donkey. He gets the two servants to come with him. He cuts enough wood. There was a whole heap of preparation before the worship even began 
to take place. I believe, like Abraham, we need to make appropriate preparations. When it comes to worship, it's not about just being there. You can be there in bodily form, but not be there in heart. Not be there in spirit. Not be there mentally. Come on, I'm going to stick up for the ladies. Ladies, you know one of the most frustrating things when talking to your husband is when you're talking and they're there, but they're not there. Don't nudge your husband, just look at me, okay? I know that's true because I've done it to my wife. You can be somewhere, but not be there. And you can be in the midst of people singing songs to God, but not be there mentally. When's the last time you prepared yourself to come to church? And I'm not just about your hair and makeup. How many, if we're honest, spend more time preparing our bodies than our hearts? In actual fact, I, I've got to, I've got to just, I just want to say something for all of our guys and girls who stand up here on this platform and do anything. Because these are the ones who become the target of accusation. They become the target of why something went wrong. When in actual fact, these are the ones, anyone who's up here are usually far more prepared than anyone else who comes. And it's so easy for us who have zero preparation to have a go at those who aren't perfect, but they are far more prepared. Maybe worship wasn't what it could have been for you because we just weren't ready. We weren't prepared. We weren't listening. We're going to prepare our hearts. We're going to prepare our minds. We've got to prepare our will. Because every area in life requires preparation. Again, before you think I'm getting too super spiritual or too super spooky, think about it. When you go to work, what do you do? You prepare for work. You don't just get out of bed and go. Bare minimum, you have a shower and put some clothes on. That's part of your preparation. When you go to school, you prepare to go to school. You prepare for an exam. You even prepare to go to bed, which is bizarre. I'm going to go to bed. For me, going to bed means I'll be in bed in three minutes. For my wife, it means half an hour. And I think that is true for most women. By the time it takes to get rid of the makeup and everything else, you have to prepare. Why did everyone go quiet? All the guys are saying, I'd love to say amen, but I'm too scared. (laughs) Point is, there's preparation in everything in life. And if we're going to prepare for school, how much more preparing to come in the presence of God? Why is it the most important things gets the very least of our preparation? And, And so maybe if we got nothing out of the worship, not the worship's for you, maybe it's because we just weren't prepared. Because I'm telling you, God's here and God is speaking. But are we listening? You know, I read just yesterday, and it was amazing to me because it was an account we've read many, many times before and one that has been preached many times, but it's usually in a negative context. It's where Peter disowns Jesus three times and the rooster crows. Remember that? And I I thought about it. I thought, you know, as, 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 as distant as Peter is, I mean, Peter's just fighting for his life at that moment. 
But even in that moment, when the rooster crows, it says he remembered the words of Jesus immediately. That rooster crowed, and others would have heard it, but for Peter, it was significant. And so I'm not here to bring any condemnation this morning, but maybe, maybe just receive me as the rooster that's just crowing, just to help us remember what Jesus said. And so even if you're in a dark place, even if you're in a distant place, Peter was able to hear the voice of the rooster and be reminded of the words of Jesus. So we've got to prepare. We've got to get our game face on. We need to come to church prepared to worship him. Let's move on. Genesis chapter 22, verse 4, it says, On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw a place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here uh, with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. The third thing I see from Abraham's life when it comes to authentic being, uh, worship being authentic is that there is a separation. We have revelation, preparation, and a separation. Abraham had to separate himself from the servants. Why? Because they didn't understand. And if they were too close at the moment where he started tying up his son, they could have interfered. I mean, you know, imagine, imagine two servants sitting there thinking, what's he doing to his son? We can't let that happen. And they would have been well-meaning. They would have actually thought they were doing a good thing. See, it's not enough just to separate from bad things. I mean, that's a given. There are certain things that are unhealthy and unhelpful. Separate yourself from those. But they're the things that, you know, it's not often those things that hinder us so much as the good things we need to separate ourselves from. God is going to ask of us to separate ourselves from good things from time to time in order to get the best things. And we have to be willing to separate. These two servants hadn't done anything wrong. They just did not need to be in that moment at that time. And he had to create a separation from him and his son and the two servants. If our authentic is going to go to, if our worship is going to go to another level, we have to be prepared to separate. Even being here this morning, there's a separation that has taken place. Because there's lots of other things you could be doing. There's lots of money you could be making. There's lots of fun you could be had. And, and that's part of our worship. There's, there's a separation that takes place. And without that, it's just yes to everything that people are offering. So there's a separation that needs to take place. Number four, let's move on. Genesis chapter 22, verse 6, it says, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offerings and he placed it on his son Isaac. He said to himself, carry the fire and the knife. As the two of them went together, uh, Isaac spoke up and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here. You can see him sweating now. The fire and the wood are here. Um, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham replied, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. They reached the place God had told them about. Abraham built an altar. He arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac. He laid him on the altar on the top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand and took a knife to slay his son. Authentic worship requires dedication. There needs to be revelation. There needs to be preparation. There needs to be separation. And there needs to be dedication. Abraham dedicated that which was nearest and dearest to him. This was his only son. It wasn't like Abraham at that time had 12 other sons and this was just the run to the family, the troublemaker, 
And this is a, you're doing me a favor, Lord. This is his promised son. This is his one and only son. This is a type of Christ. And Abraham raises a knife and is ready to plunge a knife into his son, highlighting that authentic worship is costly. For us to truly worship God, it's going to cost us something. Worship is not always going to be easy. It's not always going to be convenient. It's going to cost us something. There are certain times in our life, worshiping the Father is going to cost us dearly. It requires that we give up our best for God's best. That's what worship is. It's us giving up our best. I surrender, Lord. I surrender my best for your best. There's a story of a man that is not very well known, but he was the pupil of Donatello, and he was a teacher of Michelangelo. Many of you would be familiar with those names because you are aware of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. But for the cultured ones amongst us, we would know that they were great artists. Michelangelo was one of the greatest sculptors of all time. And he was very talented. And he was talented from a very young age. But as with most talented people, they get complacent. Have you noticed that? The talented ones often just, just get complacent. And Michelangelo's teacher knew that to be true. And so he's always pushing. He's always pushing Michelangelo. And the story goes that when Michelangelo was 14 years of age and working on a piece, uh, the teacher came up with a hammer in hand and smashed the sculpture as he was working on it. And he looked at Michelangelo, then 14 years of age, and said, talent is cheap, but dedication is costly. In other words, stop just coasting. Dedicate yourself. You're better than that. You can create something far better than that. But it's going to cost you. True worship is costly. Abraham knew that to be true. And it was going to cost him his son. You know, some of us aren't even prepared to pay the price to sing a song we don't like. You know, if, 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 if we come in and we're singing a song you don't like, just consider it as part of the cost. But it's a very small one. I mean, really. It's not a big ask. And in, in conjunction with the fact that we serve a God who laid down his life for us. Is there a shift in our hearts taking place this morning as we start realizing that we've made worship something less than what God intended? Brings me to the last point, Genesis 22, verse 11. But then the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me 
your son, your only son. The last thought that I have this morning as we look at Abraham's life is that of proclamation. When it comes to authentic worship, it starts with revelation. It involves and requires preparation and separation. There is dedication, but then there comes a time where there is proclamation. See, this place where all this took place, it was Abraham that called that place Jehovah Jireh. He said, this is the place that the Lord will provide. He gave voice to his God. He declared who God was. You see, the thing about that place, it was a place of obedience and sacrifice. See, some of us want the breakthrough. Some of us want the breakthrough, but we're not prepared for it to be obedient and to sacrifice. This place where Jehovah Jireh, God provided for Abraham, came out of a place of sacrifice. It came out of a place of obedience. And in this place of sacrifice and obedience, a breakthrough took place and Abraham declared who God was and what God had done. His voice declared, we have a great God and He does great things. And see, at that moment, it's not about whether his hands are raised or not. It's not about whether the music is playing or not. It's an authenticity to his voice. He's not just parrot fashioning someone else. He's had an ongoing revelation and all these things have been put in place. So now when he's opening his mouth, it's not just words. It's not just lip syncing. I mean, lip syncing is the big thing now. There are lip sync battles where people get on stage and they mime the songs and they do the body language. But you know what? For all the fun and all the dancing, they're still not singing. And, and, and I sense sometimes that we are worshipping, but we're not worshipping. It's like we're lip syncing. Jesus said it this way, your hearts, you honour me with your lips, sorry, but your hearts are far from me. It's just lip service. It's just lip syncing. But I want to tell you, at this very moment, at this very moment, Abraham's not lip syncing. He's declaring the goodness of God. He's proclaiming who he is and he's proclaiming what he does. Who is our God? Our God is Almighty God. He is the Alpha and He is the Omega. He's the Apostle and High Priest of our confession. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the beginning and the end of the creation of God. He's the bread of life. He's the captain of the Lord of hosts. He's the chief shepherd. He's the chief cornerstone. He's the chief among 10,000. He's the desire of all nations. He's the door. He's Emmanuel. He's the everlasting Father. He is the faithful and He's the true witness. He's the first and He's the last. He's the friend of sinners. He's God manifest in the flesh. He's God of the whole earth. He's the great shepherd of the sheep. He's the head of the church. He's the heir of all things. 
He's the great I am. He's the perfect image of our God. He is Jehovah. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lamb of God. He's the light of the world. He is the living bread. He's the lion in the tribe of Judah. He's the Lord of Lords. He's Lord God Almighty. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the resurrection. He's the life. He's the shepherd and the bishop of our souls. He's the good shepherd. He's the son of righteousness. He's the true vine. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. He's wonderful. He is Jesus, the Lord of the entire universe and all creation. Can we worship our God this morning? He alone is worthy. He alone is worthy. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 